Did you see the memo about this? It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Wednesday night. And if you don't know, then now you know. It's Kevin Kincaid with you. Baxter uh, had a lot of trouble with the storms tonight. Man, uh, we all had a lot of trouble with that, I believe. I got stuck behind a bus or a truck, I'm sorry, that was trying to turn uh, onto 2nd Street and uh, a trip to Top Golf in Mount Laurel turned into a roundabout trip back home. So here I am now recording with my man from Crossing Broad. It's Phil Kaidel returning to the program. Phil, what's up, man? How are you, Kevin? Uh, didn't really have any trouble with the weather today no. or even tonight, but yesterday a lightning bolt struck a tree easily within 100 feet of where I was. Now, I was undercover. I was you know, inside. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's a feeling and a sound that you don't really shake too easily. (laughs) It's just too loud (sighs) and too nasty. And I could actually smell the wood burning uh, from the tree. So how does that, um, how would you say that episode compares to the time that we went to your house and did the steak cook off and investor Jeff accidentally burned uh, your siding? How would you He melted the siding. Burning it would have been a different situation entirely. But yes, the, the house has a scar uh, from where Investor Jeff and Kyle, to be fair, yeah. uh, decided to crank my Weber silver gas grill up to like 650 degrees. Yeah. And then the best part of it was after my siding melted and we had the steaks and everything was great, all I heard was, well, Phil, if you'd cleaned your grill, this never would have happened. Oh, <laughs> oh, is that it? So it was some residue and Uh-oh. some grease that was left in the grill as opposed to the nuclear fission you tried to perform within that grill to get it up over 600 degrees. I I love the way people don't really want to take responsibility for obvious. Well, it was blaming, uh, yeah, it was blaming the victim. I don't There's, there's no, no more of of an example of that. When also too, it should be pointed out that Russ, uh, Russ brought his, um, like cylindrical trash can looking thing there. It looked like it was like a scene out of, out of Terminator where you're in a post-apocalyptic society, and people have like fires going in a trash can just to try to stay warm. You know what I mean? Oh but, yeah. But Russ was actually cooking his steak inside that thing, and he dropped it on the ground. That was so, my favorite part. Yeah. So it had a little bit of a a woody, a wooden kind of taste to it. But yeah, that's okay too. It added earthy. It was very earthy. It was very earthy. Um, speaking of earthy, and speaking of grillings, uh, your Philadelphia Union five one over DC United. Um, Geez, I mean, I didn't see that coming. I I know that the, uh, you know, the red card obviously changed everything there, but um, even before, even before the red card, they were slicing and dicing DC with with no problem. You know, I thought they looked really damn good. Is it too easy and pat for me to suggest that the news that Wayne Rooney is going back to England at the end of this season broke in the last day or two, and that? That was on his mind. You know, I was out there, but he didn't seem to be doing much. And if those whispers are in that changing room for DC United, does that have an impact? Does that cause them maybe not to be mm-hmm. at their best? Yeah. Um, I thought that was very interesting because for me, after how poorly the union had played previously, I thought this was a match that Rooney could really put a stamp on. Uh, he could get a brace. He could facilitate. He would draw so much attention and make things easier for other players. It didn't happen. And as you pointed out, uh, the Union ran roughshod, really, for the better part of 50 or 60 minutes. And then there was a little dodgy piece after the Union scored their third goal. It seemed like they switched off a little bit. 
Uh, yeah, and they gave back. up the, the goofy set-piece goal that DC got there and then whatever. But, uh, yeah, they were just sort of trying to fight fire with fire. Like, they were like, whatever, if you score on us, fine, we're going to score five goals. Basically. <laughs> sort of like, some, coach, some coaches, you know, are just going to, like, throw the defensive sub on there and just try to bunker down and win, like, 2 nothing, 3 nothing, or something like that. But, uh, but no, they really went for it. I don't know if you are a believer in this, but I, I kind of am. I don't like the the title of it because I think it's kind of cliche when we say something is a quote unquote statement game. But when you put the parameters together and you look at the context coming into this game, okay. First of all, first of all, the irony was that the union had been so like just whatever in the last couple of years that they didn't, that national, they weren't national broadcasters weren't interested in having them. Right. So the season that they have one game on national TV, go figure they're actually in first place, but they're in danger of when they finally get to that national TV game of falling out of first place, you know, and losing two games for the in a row for the first time since March. So when you think about how much was riding on it, national TV, they just got blitzed for nothing the week prior. Um, the injury situation was still a little iffy. You weren't sure if you were going to have Montero this weekend, who uh, he ended up coming back. But for them, for all of the circumstances surrounding them, like I feel like they did indeed answer a lot of questions and say this is this was not like this little blip or whatever. Like we are we are back for for good here. I'm not great at mathematics, but their goal difference now is nine. So it must have been five when they entered the match, and that is not a goal difference of five after playing 24 matches is not exactly dominant, and it's not the sort of thing that national television is begging to put on its air. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be a draw or a 2-1 or a 1-0, and that doesn't bring people. Um, but well, they're not sexy. Even if, the, even if the union are in first place, they're, they're still not like, like you're, what are you selling? Like, like who are you interviewing before the broadcast? You, know, you don't have Zlatan. You don't have Carlos Vela or whatever. Like, here's a team that plays like a team. Like, that's not really you know, when you're a producer, you're just sort of rolling your eyes and saying, okay, I get, I, you know, I get it, but, but what? Our good you know? friend Russ made fun of me one time last year when I said that probably the union's biggest draw is Andre Blake. And he made a big show of mocking <laughs> me for that. Like, how can you say the keeper matters that much? And I said, yeah, but he's their best player. At least he was last year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, if you were going to pick a union player last year, I think it would have been Blake. Now, the good news is, there is more talent on this team. They are scoring more goals. They are in first place. And so you don't have to make such a big deal about how good the keeper is. And actually, he's not probably not as quite as good this year as he was last. No, he's actually been kind of subpar for his standards, I would say. That's but, what I was about to say. I yeah. didn't mean that to be a shot at him because he's no, still yeah. an excellent player. Yeah. I just mean, you know, listen, they, every player has great years, good years, average years. This is probably a good one, but it's not a great one for Blake, at least not so far. So the Union are plus nine goal differential now, seven, two, and three at home. They're five, five, and three on the road, which is crazy to me considering how bad they'd been on the road in years prior. Um, they won well, a they six still point. are capable of some absolute suck fests on the road too, right? I, mean, I know, I know. <laughs> they it's will crazy. lose games badly on the road. <laughs> they still. have two, yeah, well, if I mean, if you want to be the negative guy, you could say, well, in four, two of their four last games, they've lost four nothing on the road, right? <laughs> you know, but then the other the other two were a two nothing shutout at home and a five to one win on the road that was bolstered by a red card. So um, I don't know if you're still interested in crafting like a cynical narrative. I guess you could be justified in kind of looking at it that way. But I mean, when you look at the fact that if DC had won that game, they would have pulled even with the Union. 
at 39 points and Atlanta would have remained in first place. The Union, that was the difference. That win was the difference between first and third place, you know. So I well, think they answered get, a lot of questions, you know. We're getting to the back end of the calendar now, right? So the longer the Union can remain at or near the top of the table, the better chance we have, Kevin, of seeing something we have never seen, which is the Union hosting a playoff game. Well, it was. it feels like we've never seen it, but it was like so long ago that, you know, the 2011 – well, how long ago was that? It was eight seasons now. Correct. Eight seasons since they last had that home. You know, it's funny because I have a shirt. I have like a box in my uh, office that has just like old union memorabilia. You know, like par- like paraphernalia, like T-shirts and like little like different collectibles and stuff like that that I was I just hang on to. And there's a shirt that says 2011 Philadelphia Union Playoffs. I was sitting there thinking, hmm, this could really be worth something someday, you know, because at that point it was like I was looking at it like 2015. I'm like, they're never going to the playoffs again. <laughs> <laughs> and then they got there in 2016, and then they got like the backed into the wild card the last two years. But I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if they hosted a, a home playoff game this year? Well, and think about some of the teams you might see, right? So NYCFC, mm-hmm. possibly. Mm-hmm. You could see that DC United team again if Rooney's still there. Um, Red Bull Red might Bulls. fall off a little bit, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, and you know even the Revs are still in the conversation, which is kind of amazing. It's Frankly, crazy. Toronto FC is not out of it yet. So no. these are all teams that you would want to see the Union play at home in a playoff match, and you'd give the Union a really good chance to win the match against one of those teams. Now, are they capable of going on some long playoff run and you know ending up in the MLS Cup? Uh, let's not go too far on that. Just yeah, yet. yeah. We'll see what their form is like uh, at the end of the season. But for now, I think the focus has to be, man, stay in first as long as you can. But if you don't end up first, just do whatever you can do to hold on to home field, at least in the first round. Because that's still a good season no matter what. No it's matter a great if, season. Regardless of whether they back into it or not. Because in years past, they have backed into sixth place. So back, backing into third versus backing into sixth is obviously an improvement. So um, here's the observations I wrote down from – the game on Sunday. Number one, I thought the Andrew Vooten and Casper Shabilko pairing, I thought it looked really good for the 20 some whatever minutes or 25 minutes or whatever before the red card. I can't remember when the red card was 30 something. 36. Yeah, 36. 37th. Okay. And, uh, you know, it was, um, you know, cause I had been sitting here saying on the podcast before, okay, you got two bigger, like target men, center forward kind of guys. Is their skill set going to be redundant? You know, is there going to be overlap there? You know, is, is that going to work? Um, and it did, uh, you know, Vooten dropped back a little bit. I thought his holdup play was really, really smooth, really silky. He didn't try to do too much. Like he didn't overdo it. He had a really, really nice pass on the first goal when I thought he should have shot that actually, but he waited and then he found that really nice, uh, square ball. Um, as Shabilko missed the penalty, but he got the goal. Um, with the two of those guys playing up there, you know, it's interesting because we talked about, Russ and I had talked about Marco Fabian, stay high, man, just stay high. I need you to stay high, right? Um, and he found space sort of on the left and right to the point where um, DC United playing a three-man back line. They just got carved. They just got carved up playing three men in, ba- in the back. They should have just went to four. Um, but I I, th- I was very pleased that Fabian stayed high, Um and you know, found his space up there instead of drifting back and kind of, kind of like dis- displacing Mont. Um, I'm sorry, Warren Craval and the other guys who are in the midfield with him. Um, well, as you pointed out, there was an awful lot of space in that box. In oh my god, dude! The DC United <sighs> goal. Yeah, and I think you're right. With Fabian staying at the high point, basically, is what I would call it if I were talking about basketball. Um, yeah, he was able to find shots, find lanes for shots, find diagonal 
layoff pass paths. He had a lot of room at his disposal. They all did. Mm-hmm. Um, my other comment about this, I don't want to forget to say it is, I do not think I would want to play in front of Bill Hamid. Uh, he was Bill dropping Hamid, everything, wasn't he, man? Like yeah, he couldn't get a clean hand that. or anything. He, yeah, he for, he didn't play well, first of all. But secondly, every time there's a threat or, God forbid, a goal goes in behind him, he is so demonstrative and so, frankly, he looks really upset, like <laughs> angry, and he looks like he's pointing out but teammates and showing people up. But aren't all goalkeepers kind of like that a little bit? Like they get like real pissed off when something in front of them happens that they feel like should should not have happened, like it's their chance to finally unload on like the center backs or something. Well, okay, so you said statement match was a cliche earlier. Well, this is another cliche. Yeah. The great keepers don't do that. The great keepers yeah. act like they expected that to happen. They understand why it happened, and they'll try not to let it happen again. Well, they're not so naive that they understand that, like, you're never going to go through a game without facing, like, zero sh- shots on goal, you know? Right. Like, I think some of these other goalkeepers, like like Hamid, to your point, is just like, bro, like, bro what do you expect? Like, yeah, like, you're going <laughs> to you're gonna face some opposition here. It's not just going to be, like, cruise control to, like, a 2 nothing clean sheet, you know? Well, especially, as you pointed out, they were playing uh, three men at the back, and then they went down a man for 50 minutes. Mm, yeah, like, yeah. that's... You're going to get pelted for the rest of that match, especially with a, a first-place team like the Union that has some talent, has some players, and yeah. was willing to press the advantage, which was a refreshing change. Like you just yeah. said, they didn't put on... They didn't get up two or three and then pack it in. They kept pushing United back as hard as they could. I kind of like that. that. Really valuable. Yeah, I like that for sure. Um, but I think, yeah, again... Oh, I had two more notes I wrote down, sorry. Um, I, having Wagner back was was big. He's just very steady back there, you know? Um, and Aurelian Collin was the other change uh, coming in for Austin Trusty. Collin, he's still a good player. I mean, he's still effective at what he does. There's just like... It just like makes me laugh out loud because there's like three or four or five like adventurous moments that he has in every game that look like they shouldn't be as adventurous as they are but there's always some crazy challenge that he goes flying into or some like head-to-head collision that he has with an opponent or something like that it's just <laughs> it's, i think it's the league and the level frankly uh, yeah um, yeah and i think he was always kind of like that a little bit in kansas city there was always some kind of i don't know what you i don't know if flamboyant is the right word but there's always something that felt like unnecessarily dramatic with him is that a good way to describe it like unnecessarily Absolutely. dramatic like whereas jack elliott's sort of just like all business and and you know whatever like colin will like is like flying all over the field doing this and that and whatever and it's effective it's almost but. like the game's a little too boring for him so he's got to make something happen <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a good which is dangerous uh, yeah yeah that's a good way to um to look at it for sure but yeah i think out of all those notes i wrote down my biggest takeaway was that i i was i was very pleased with the Vooten and Shabilko um, pairing. And in the minutes that they played together in full uh, 11 v 11, I, I didn't see anything that I felt was discouraging um, about that partnership. So I think that beyond just the thrashing and the quote unquote cliche statement or whatever, I think that was probably my biggest takeaway. They all of a sudden have three or four legitimate goal scoring players and they still have Olsenio out there causing problems for people in short stints. God, I mean, think about who you're bringing off the bench now. You're bringing Elsenio off the bench. You're bringing Pico off the bench. Brendan Aronson's available off the bench. Like, you got quality backup fullback in R.J. Allen. Um, you're going to have McKenzie or Trusty as the center back. It's, it's, it's weird crazy to talk how about they went from, deep, like... Right, I a know. deep union team. It's weird to talk about. Because it used to be 
you need at 11 and any given day at 13 that you kind of trusted and everybody else you just put a blindfold on and hope for the best uh, and now yeah you have a, a solid 11 but you have 15 or 16 choices and as you just pointed out Curtin can now go to certain subs in certain situations and ask for certain things. Yeah. That's a real luxury. Yeah. Yeah. Before it was just like, well, here comes the one striker that we have on the bench. And then like Warren Craval at 81st right. minute to close it out, you know? So by the way, Craval had a great assist in that match. Yeah. I just wish, you know, my thing with Warren is that like, he's such a good ball winner. I just wish he was a better Ironically, I wish he was a better passer. He could just find his feet a little bit moving forward because he's just got he's got half of his game is Ozzy Alonso and the other half is like me trying to pass the ball, you know, in the final third. So don't sell yourself short there, Kevin. Well, I'm a center back, so. <laughs> right. Um. So I thought you'd be a good person to talk to about this topic because it was something that, I, that was kind of bugging me after the game i mean if you follow me on twitter you saw me bitching about it the whole time and like it's, it's weird like i want people to know that i'm not like my like focus on the red card and the the rules surrounding it was not like a negative like oh well the union blah 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 kind of thing no i mean obviously like i was happy that they were gonna beat the shit out of dc obviously but from a fan perspective i just my complaint was like okay here we go 11 versus 10 again and um i think my problem before like getting into the specifics of denial of a goal scoring opportunity and double jeopardy and double punishment and and the the language change that that happened with the rule a couple years ago was that I just I just don't want to watch eleven versus ten, like ever. Um, I don't know if I'm like alone in that. I would assume that most people would prefer to watch a full strength team versus a full strength team, right? I mean, um, for as long as you can, yeah. Yeah. Am I? Now, am I, I don't like mind a, a second yellow card. That? A second yellow card on somebody in the seventy fifth minute, if it's a one goal match, can really spice things up. Yeah. That I'm in favor of. Yeah. Clearly, if somebody gets absolutely, you know, car wrecked in the middle of the pitch and it's dirty or it's reckless and there's potential for injury and, you know, maybe somebody has to limp off. Yeah, the red card's got to come out there. Um, But I I have always felt that early red cards especially are the worst because, and I know I'm not uh, inventing anything here when I'm saying this, but... It seems disproportionate punishment, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. commit a red card offense in the first half and now your team has to play the entire second half down a man, uh, whereas if you commit the same offense in the 83rd minute, you only have to hold on for 10 minutes or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just not logical. Now, of course, the answer is don't commit the foul, don't commit the offense. But we could have, and I'm sure they had several arguments, the United players especially, about whether that was even a red card offense. I think it was Joe Tanzi. Uh, who is uh, obviously a fine soccer writer, a guy I follow on Twitter, who said when they went to VAR, the D.C. United fans thought that the yellow card was going to get rescinded. And they were right, but got <laughs> rescinded and turned a into a red. So just <laughs> that to be, was the problem. So to, like, to be clear on that, um, let, me, let me say something about that, and then I'll bring it back to like a macro thing. So originally, I guess the ref, I guess it was Villarreal, Armando Villarreal, um, just saw a clattering of dudes in the box, right? And under under the way the rules are written now, all right, let me just think about how I want to approach this. Okay, so let's just let's go way back to the beginning, right? Let's just do this in chronological order, right? So denial of a goal scoring opportunity used to be like if you're the last man back and you bring a dude down, no matter how you bring him down, and it's deemed a, a goal scoring opportunity, it's a sending off, right? 
So yes. obviously what would happen is that this would happen also inside the box. And because the foul would happen inside the box, you'd get a penalty kick and a red card. Right. And this right. was, this was d- demolishing games because if it was one, no- if you were winning one, nothing and you got a dog. So inside the box, you probably hit the penalty. You go up two nothing. And now you're up 10, 11 versus 10, you know? So who the fuck wants to watch it? And that game is over. More often than not, that game is over. Okay, and I don't have any interest in the con- as a consumer in watching it. Right, right. So, as you well know, what they did a couple of years ago is they said, "All right, we're not. We're going to try to cut down on the amount of red cards that are given in penalty situations inside the box." Right. So, for example, here's the best example I can give you. Like you know, they used to send off goalkeepers when it was a one on one, a player trying to round a goalkeeper. The goalkeeper made an honest play on the ball, but he brought him down instead. They'd give the penalty and they'd send the keeper off. Right. And the keeper's gone. Somebody else has to sub out so they can sub a new keeper, and they hit the penalty kick, and the game's over. So, is that really what we're looking for? No. So they rewrote the rule to say, okay, if you make a play on the ball, like. Just give them the yellow and the penalty, and it's not double jeopardy, right? So That's the whole point. Yeah. Now, the reason they made the call the way they did the other night is because Moreno sort of just, it was weird, just like kind of like grabbed, didn't like even really grab the shirt deliberately, just kind of like reached out and like like kind of like grabbed him in the back and got a little he bit of the play shirt, the and he didn't play the ball. That's the issue. So in that, the way that the, the rule is written, like I can't, I can't disagree with that. I understand why they did it. But as a consumer and as somebody who just wants to watch good soccer, I don't, I hate it still because I, do, I don't want to watch 11 versus 10. But the problem you have with that situation, uh, the play we're talking about is, you know, if you don't give him red there, right, do you even give a penalty? And there's an argument that there should not have been a penalty given because the contact was really not very strong. I mean, yeah, yeah. he didn't yeah. play the ball. And he had his the, – the problem he had, obviously, as a defender was his arms were far, far extended from his body. Mm-hmm. And he did make some contact with the striker from behind. So all those elements together are almost knee-jerk automatic reactionary for referees to point to the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you'd watch – you know, if he had a chance to you – know, there was VAR used and they eventually said red card. But I think another official might have looked at that video or – you know, another uh, video official could have looked at that and said, nah, play on. Uh, you know, it's it's an ugly play yeah. by the defender, and it's not a skilled play, and it's not the sort of thing we want to see, but it's certainly not worthy of a red card, first of all. And secondly, maybe not worth it of a penalty either. Right. So here's the thing. This is a podcast where we try to find solutions, right? <clears throat> I would say that we're a solutions-oriented program, Right. We're here for the people. We're here for the people. We want to, as as we say in the journalism business, Phil, we like to advance the story, right? What's new? We how can educate. we? Yes. How can we push it forward? So I'm going to offer some ideas and some solutions as to how to how to how to move it forward, right? I'm all so yours. one suggestion I have um, first, this is not necessarily a suggestion, but more of like a blanket complaint. I think the fact that we have automatic penalties for infractions inside the box encourages diving and embellishing, right? Um, there's no question. No question. So is that really what we want? Is that a good part of the game? No. So we want to eliminate that. We want to eliminate well, double Well, they jumping. introduced yellow cards for simulation. They did. You may not see enough of them, but they, did. they have tried to crack down on that side. But that's less of a... Yeah, I mean, there's more to gain, I think. There's or there's more to gain from diving in the box and trying to get a guy sent off versus you yourself just taking a yellow. You know, the, well, the give and since, take of it is... Since strikers rarely make plays in the field that 
subject them to discipline, right? Right, because so, they're never. Well, how many, how many times down. is he going to be on a yellow card to begin with? That's Luis my point. Suarez, yeah, yeah. That's my point. Yeah. They're not. They're not tracking back. They're not making defensive plays. All they're doing is hanging around and waiting for a pass and trying to score. So yeah, they can. It's easier for them to to take a yellow card and not worry about probably getting sent off. So in every other sport, ice hockey, dude goes to the penalty box, he comes back. Football player gets ejected, you bring somebody else in to cover for him, right? Um, basketball, yep. somebody punches somebody in the face, gets a flagrant two, somebody else comes in and plays for him. You don't play five versus four for the rest of the game, right? So I, I would be in favor of a rule where, say it's 11 versus 11, Junior Moreno gets sent off. DC United has three subs left. They can burn one of their subs to bring another guy onto the field, and we can bring it back to 11 versus 11, but they'll only have two subs. Do you like that um, idea? I like that idea, but I actually prefer a one, and I don't mean to step on your plan here, but I know that it's being implemented in some leagues now, the idea of limited time exclusion from the match mm-hmm. and i don't know if you were going to talk about that already well is that like is that too america because i'm trying to think of like what would work without making it like super americanized to the point where like the british and everybody else are just sort of like saying this is like um, i don't think that's i don't think that's americanization as much as it is a sensible fine substitution for what we both agree going into this conversation is not a great system. So what right? would you say? Would you say like somebody... F- 15 minutes. 15 minutes? Yeah. For that thing that the defender did the other night that he got sent off for mm-hmm. and there was a penalty on, 15 minutes. Well, yeah, if it was a deliberate, you know, yeah. not your an team, attempt to play plays, the ball. Yeah. Team plays down 15 minutes. Down a man 15 minutes. And then yeah. you could also, like, if he's... if he's Well, a red card's a red card. But, yeah... You you could then have the situation where they have to burn the sub to replace him if he's sent off, but he's but you only play down the man for fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. So you you would you have to defend shorthanded for a while, just uh, shorthand's a hockey term I know. Uh and then you, you end up burning a sub for the fact that this guy took this yeah. incident. Now the problem obviously with this is aside from the fact that the traditionalists will hate it, and I understand why they would, you're now you're gonna have we already have controversy about whether it's something should be uh, yellow, red, or nothing. But mm-hmm. now, if you're going to have adding another element of, well, it's a red, but it's not a straight. He's not leaving for the match. He's only out for 15 minutes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's too many variables. Well, we right? used to so have you, like blue, like blue cards when we ref futsal, right. you know, and that was like another where where if we're, you know we're already talking about strat on the line between what's a yellow and what's a red. Okay, well now what's a blue and what's a yellow? You know. And then the question becomes: Would you keep the potential to send somebody off the entirety of the match if the play is violent enough and then also have a lesser discipline like 15 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever it's going to be and also yell like card. multiple like, layers to it yeah. that's the problem like they're, they're, you might be adding t- more complexity to something in an attempt to make it better hmm. i don't know if that's really the answer but so to go back to the point you made earlier yeah, um, yeah i i'm fine with the idea that it, instead of an 11 v 10 situation especially for a long period of time because i agree it, it makes a mess of a lot of matches when a team has to play down a man for more than 40 or 50 minutes mm-hmm. it's just terrible the, the team with 10 just bunkers in and tries not to concede um i'm fine with it costing a sub but i would say that if we're going to implement that rule you can only do it once because otherwise you start to it's not that you incentivize violent play mm-hmm. or allowing teams to have red cards but if they can just paper over 
uh, a red card situation by burning, by burning a substitute. Three, subs, yeah. three of them? Yeah, yeah that's no that's good. That's a good I idea. You, you can yeah. only do it once. Because you don't want right? them to like, because it's like just finding a loophole, really, and you're just abusing that over and over. And what's, what's, them to, what's to keep them from just hauling a guy down on three straight breakaways? You know, Absolutely. yeah, so that's a good idea. Um, I've always kind of tossed out the idea of like, I don't like penalty kicks in general. I would rather have free kicks inside the box. Like, um, if somebody gets fouled inside the box, like in the 17 yard line, of course, everything is an automatic friggin' penalty now. Why not just take an indirect free kick from 17 yards out? It's an exciting play, you know? It is a very exciting Penalties play, are kind it of leads boring. to a lot of goals. Yeah, it also leads to could probably lead to a couple concussions, um, which people have, that's have, the have, said, <laughs> have said to me, and I understand that, but um, that's obviously a, counter, a counterpoint to it. But I'm, I'm just not a penalty dude. Like, I don't think enough nuances and enough context is placed. And when you say, like, for example, like how many penalties did Megan Rapino score in the World Cup? Like three? So three yes. of her six goals were penalties that she didn't earn. So, right. You know, but you don't hear anybody ever saying that, you know, but there's a huge difference. You know, you, we give out golden boots and, you know, awards and stuff like that based on one guy who had 17 goals from the run of play and another person had 13 from the run of play and they hit five penalties. So um, I would prefer that, to, to, to going, minimize the, the significance that penalties have on the sport in general, you know. Well, and that's without going too far afield because I know this is a, an MLS and Philadelphia-centric pod, but, um, you know, Liverpool last year, they win the the Champions League and they're uh, second in the Premier League and Milner takes all their penalties so the fact that Salah and Firmino <laughs> yeah. score all those yes. goals and they're all run of play goals yeah. unless Milner's not in the match or he's hurt or something very few penalties are taken by their quote-unquote strike players yeah, yeah so it makes it almost more impressive their goal tallies when you consider that you know Aguero from Man City takes almost all their penalties and he probably gets eight to ten penalties a year yeah uh, that that again uh pad his goal well, especially when we're tracking all this other bullshit like xg and you know counting secondary assists and stuff like that and we have heat maps and the dudes are like running around wearing you know motion sensors and stuff like that but you know we're still not really drawing the proper distinction between this guy scored a bunch of penalties and this guy didn't like it's just crazy to me how that doesn't how that kind of falls through the cracks you know how else shall we fix this red card conundrum? That's all I have written down. I, I like the I, I just don't – I think more than anything to circle it back to the beginning and kind of put a bow on it, I just don't – from from a consumer perspective, from a broadcast perspective, think of, think of this game is on national TV, okay? Like how many people are sticking around f- to watch Philadelphia Union beat the shit out of D.C. United on national TV when the game is over around like 50 minutes? Well, especially as late as especially it was. Especially as late too. as it was, you know? So I – like – it doesn't – I don't really know who it serves other than the Philadelphia Union, which is nice, of course, <laughs> for, for us and for Union fans. But, yeah, we'll but I, I'm as – a, as a student of the game and as somebody who loves the game and wants to see the game played as it should be, I don't want to watch 10 versus 11, you know. All right. but And, and again, and we're going a little bit circular here, but I'll, I'll make it quick. Ultimately, the player bears responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If, if you make that sort of error – and you make that sort of non-soccer play on a striker from behind, you have made the referee's job there either very difficult or very easy, depending on how you want to mm-hmm, look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're going to go most of the time. And the player bears that responsibility, ultimately. I've often, uh, you know, watching my son play and, and watching uh, matches of other teams that I care about, if I'm rooting for my team, I would rather let them the other team score in that situation. Yeah. I would rather let the striker get his shot off and score than, as you point out, 
take a red card, probably give up a penalty, all of that. Like, no, no thanks. Like, the goal's a big deal, and I know you can lose to one goal, and that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I would much rather, as you point out, have the full complement of players and bear the, the cost of having made a poor defensive play by having a goal scored, but at least you're still intact, and at least the match is still on level terms. Good discussion. All right. Uh, this episode of Zoe Soccer in Philadelphia is brought to you by Cinch Propane Delivery Service. They will exchange your propane tank for a brand new full tank for just $10 with the Crossing Broad promo code Crossing Broad. One word. Just enter your address, leave the tank on your porch or driveway, and Cinch will do the rest. It's a great service. You just go to their website, you type in your address, and uh, it'll say whether you're, you're eligible whether they do the service in your area they do it in my area in fishtown um so yeah just go on there crossing broad promo code is crossing broad uh, one word they'll exchange your propane tank for a brand new full tank for just ten dollars at cinch okay phil that leads us into the bedoya thing the uh statement he made uh, after scoring the first goal uh where he went over to the field microphone and he said uh Oh, God, what was the quote? It's only 10 words. Uh, let's go. Um, uh, enough of end gun violence, Congress. Let's go. Something to that effect. Let's do let's something. Let's do something. Okay. Um, That's right. I mean, what was your what was your immediate reaction to it? And, and now that it's been a couple of days, um, your reaction to the reaction? Well, so the first thing I'll say is that no matter how you feel about it or I feel about it, I had to give Bedoya credit for this, okay? He scores that goal in Washington, D.C. in a fraught time in our nation's history. The emotions were still very, very raw of what has gone on in El Paso. And just, it's heartbreaking stuff, obviously. Um, But he scores that goal in D.C. in the third minute when all the eyeballs are still on this match because it's, you know, just started. And he must have had that, not not planned to score the goal, mind you, but he must have had it planned that if he did score, he was going to do this. Mm -hmm. And for him to hit that shot and kick it in off the post the way he did, and then after quickly celebrating with his teammates, sprinting over and and speaking into the the field mic that way, I give him a lot of credit for having a plan and bringing the plan to fruition, no matter how you feel about what he said or why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I don't have, yeah, I mean, I don't have any problem with any athlete going over and saying that kind of thing. And I think MLS did the right thing in number one, not suspending him. Um, Cause that just that would have been, been a that would have been a disaster for them. Yeah. I mean, like what the fuck was the alternative? And I know people were complaining about the statement that they put out, said the statement didn't go far enough or whatever, but, but what do you expect? You can't expect MLS to say, we all agree that guns are bad and we need gun reform and blah, blah, blah. It's, it benefits them to say as little as possible, right? What they could, what they could have said in the statement was they could have said, we understand that people have passionate takes on gun control specifically. They could have specifically referred to what Bedoya said when that would not have given, that would not have tipped MLS's hand one way or another. Right. But it, by them not saying it, it made it seem like they were just trying to ignore the thing completely, which I, th- I thought kind of hurt their, their case a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I got no, no problem with what he said. And, and I, th- I well, think – no, go ahead. If you got a point, go ahead. As I alluded to earlier, okay, this moment is unique in time. What Bedoya did, it's specific to that moment in all of our mm-hmm. lives uh, in the last 
week. Well, and Dayton, Dayton and was that was that morning too. That's what I was about yeah, to say, could, yeah. right? Because I neglected I keep to mention take, Dayton. I keep earlier. No, I I neglected to mention Dayton earlier, and I was going to try and force it in. Uh, so thank you for covering me there. Um, but literally, what I'm trying to say is, you know, he makes that statement two weeks before, two weeks after. MLS probably has a much different feeling about it. And Lord mm -hmm. knows, you could make that statement that Bedoya made at any number of moments in the last two, five, sure, 10, 20 sure. years in our nation's history. But it was just that weekend, that night, um, the, the feelings were so raw and so fresh and so real. And oh, by the way, in that moment, some of the people who might ordinarily take real umbrage at him making a statement like that really had to check themselves and sit back and just take yeah it. that's just how it was going to be I, so in in that regard bedoya hit all the check boxes in terms of what he was trying to accomplish and pulling it off now i'm going to go to the other side of it for the sake of conversation and also to try to do the devil's advocate thing and share a couple other thoughts um i think the problem that i have with these kinds of things and people could say, "Oh, here, you know, here's Kincaid going and being cynical again and being an asshole or whatever." And it's 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 not. It's really not. Trust me. Um, I think people misconstrue what I've said and what I've written in the past about stick to sports. To me, everything that I've said and written about that in the past was more about writers and media and journalists, and not necessarily about athletes using their platform to say whatever. Like I really don't have I I don't have a problem with what Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick has done or said, or what Malcolm Jenkins has done or said. I've criticized on Crossing Broad some, sometimes, like, I've critiqued, I guess would be a better word, of the way that they go about it, for example. Like, for example, I don't think Colin Kaepernick walking around with wearing pig socks helps his case. Like, I think it hurts his case, regardless of whether it's a big deal or not, because it's how it's interpreted by other people, right? Um, but I think the thing that bothers me is like the, the typical reaction to this kind of thing. Bedoya comes out and he says something. Everybody gets all excited on Twitter. They go, oh, he's so courageous. Yeah, we're going to take a stand, right? And what happens next? Like, nothing. Jack shit happens. What, what can happen, though? Honestly, what what that's can happen? Right? right. What because I'm happen. sitting here thinking, okay, it doesn't matter whether I heard Bedoya, whether you heard Bedoya, whether f the 1,500 people who listen to this podcast, whether they heard Bedoya. What matters is if Mitch McConnell and people in Congress heard him, okay? And I promise I'm not, like, going to get political here. I, I don't, like, I'm... I, think of, think of, I'm not going political I, I think of myself all. as a moderate, right? But, I mean, the fact of the matter is gun control doesn't doesn't get to the floor of the senate because mitch mcconnell doesn't allow it to get there okay like we can establish that as a nonpartisan fact right so is mitch is yeah. mitch mcconnell hearing alejandro bedoya no no he's so not. now what I, I well here's the other comment i made uh, it was probably in our slack but uh you know i've been on twitter i can't remember but i said Part of the problem here, as much as I love Alejandro Bedoya and love watching him play, he's not really a needle mover in terms of the national discourse from a sport perspective. Oh, right. We were he's talking not a about big this. Big enough yet. name. You were, you were, or one of us was saying, like, well, it's not. I mean, there's, obviously, there's a difference if LeBron comes out and says, or if Michael Jordan had come out to like support the Brady Bill back in like 1996, you know? Absolutely. Um, but. Well, who's the who's the best American player in MLS right now, right? If that guy goes and says it, 
maybe it moves the needle a little yeah, bit. Though. I guess. I don't think Bedoya is a big enough name, and I hate, I don't mean to be slighting no, the man because I think he's no, a wonderful player. No, but this player. goes back to what we were saying about the last the last discussion we were having is how do we how do we advance it? Like, what, how do we move it forward beyond this perpetual cycle of shooting happens? Everybody says we've had enough. We're gonna t- you know say how annoyed we are on social media, and then nothing happens. And then another shooting happens, and then we're going to, you know, somebody's going to take a stand and say something. We're going to complain about it on social media, and then nothing's going to happen, you know. So well, to his credit, hang on one sec. So, so to yeah. his credit, Bedoya, when he was asked about it in, like, follow-up inter- interviews, like, he gave specifics. And he said, look, I think you could do this with ammunition, or I think you could do this with bump stocks or like a certain kind of gun or whatever. And so he did talk specifically about, hey, here's a tangible solution a, B, C, and D. Um, and to his credit, he elaborated on the 10 words that he shouted into the microphone. So to me, it says to me that he's a guy who's thought more about it and does know a little bit what he's talking about. The, he is a very thoughtful The question player, is no whether question. you can get anybody to to latch on to it so that it, it moves something forward, you know? And again, without trying to be political, because I am not going political <laughs> here, all I will say is the challenge that we all have is no matter how you feel about these issues, you really only get to do anything about it at election times. And we don't yeah. have that yeah. many elections, yeah. right? Yeah. So I guess the counterpoint to your counterpoint would be people like Bedoya and people who have a platform, as much as we feel like what he says makes no impact and is here today, gone tomorrow, and forgotten, mm-hmm. the only counterpoint to that is, all right, but if we don't continue to speak up about the things that matter to us, Whatever those issues yeah. are, again, you, you do what you want. It's not my thing. I didn't say it. And, but, you know, I give Bedoya all the credit in the world for doing what he did. Uh, I might not have done the same thing. I might have. Who knows? Point is, uh, whatever issues you're passionate about, if you just stay silent on them, nothing's well, going exactly. to Well, exactly. Yeah. Like, we know, we, you know, unfortunately doing something and saying something might not result in something, but doing nothing and saying nothing, we know of course results in that. So yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. One other thing I wanted to say about this topic before we go to questions, um, Don Garber did a interview with ESPN where he was talking about pop politics in the stadiums, which is, which is, they have a, something specific that's written down in the fan code of conduct that is different from what the players are held to, which I don't think they're held to anything at all. I could I could be wrong about that. But specifically in the fan code of conduct, it says that there's supposed to be no political signage in the stadiums, right? Um, right. And when you get to Seattle and Portland and some of the more – I mean, look, let's be 100% honest here. Soccer supporters, soccer fans, soccer writers lean left, okay? So you get some messages, I think, that were uh, – what happened in Seattle? Was there like a – Antifa message or something. There was some kind of like more leftish kind of something that was going on down out there with the fan base or uh, with the supporters group, I guess. And um, so I guess MLS told them not to do it or to take something down. I forget that specifically. But the point being is that they don't want political signage in the stadium because they don't want the sons of Ben coming down to Chester and unfurling a banner that says like Trump is a poopy head, right? Um, regardless if 85% of the people in the stadium also believe that Trump is a poopy head, then the 15% of people who disagreed, maybe now they're on the other end of the stadium unfurling a banner that says, um, keep America great. So they definitely don't want the attention taken away from the product. 
they've worked so hard to make the product get any attention at all, and they don't want that attention co-opted by political signage. Now, here's the other thing too, right? Uh, soccer fans, aside from leaning left, sometimes lean drunk and sometimes lean belligerent. Yeah, yeah. more often and than not. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's not good, but you understand that that sometimes is part of the package, not so much in MLS, but certainly internationally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You do not want to give reasons and more chances to inflame people within the stadium beyond the match and the yeah. play. So that, to me, is the number one concern, concerning consideration for MLS as to why they would never want political And they have the done these polls, man. I mean, we wrote the story for the site the other week. Where, like ESPN has done polls where it says like 74% of people don't want to hear about politics on ESPN. Um, and Garber right. said the same thing in his, um, in his interview he did. Um, with ESPN, ironically. And, like, I, I get it. I understand that we are in a very interesting time now. Nobody's trying to su- suppress anybody's First Amendment rights to free speech or anything like that. But at the end of the day, are we going to Town Energy Stadium to watch the Philadelphia Union play and have a and, and f- see a soccer game? Or are we going there so that one end of the stadium can say shit about Trump and the other can say shit about Antifa? Like, are we going to experience a political battleground or are we going to a soccer game? Yeah, I absolutely think it's a bad idea to ever allow that to happen. Yeah. Just to go back to something you said a, a few minutes ago. You said that the fan conduct policy is A, and the player conduct policy, if it even exists, is yeah. B. Uh, and I'm with you on that, but I'll also say that while the league may not have the most stringent policies in the world, I imagine every club has something in place. Because if a player does or says something in the colors on the pitch that brings disrepute or trouble or problems to the club, the club, I'm sure, will have something to say about it. And suspensions can be internal just as much as they can be legal. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I know FIFA has laws, too, that apply to, you know, you can't pull your shirt up and have MAGA written underneath it, nor can you have, like, you know fuck Donald Trump written on your shirt either or whatever, you know, I mean, that's for obvious reasons, reasons, you know, Um, and I get it. I just want, I think I'll end the conversation. Actually, if you have a final point, I'll give you a final point, but no, I I hit what I wanted to hit. And, and it's an important thing that we're talking about. I don't think, I think when people say stick to sports, um, I think like my angle of that is like, if I follow us an Eagles writer for Eagles news, like I don't want, if he wants to share a political opinion, fine. But if it gets to the point where it's like Les Bowen and 80% of his timeline is political tweets and 20% is the Eagles, then what am I following you for? You know, when people say stick to sports and when people, you know, when these these polled ESPN people, I guess, say that they want to watch sports instead of politics, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're ignorant to what's going on in the country. You know, maybe they consume their politics from CNN or whatever the fuck, right? And then they consume their sports from somebody else. I don't think they're trying to say that, like, they want to silence your First Amendment rights or that you're not allowed to talk about this or that. It's just that they choose to get their political news from political people and they choose to get their sports takes from sports people. I mean, at the end of the... Well, and it's an impossible problem yeah. because the the journalist, the media member, owns their Twitter mm-hmm. page or feed or whatever yeah. you want to say. Mm-hmm. It's theirs. It's uniquely individually theirs. But their jobs effectively mandate that they use those mediums to convey information and to bring eyeballs to the site and to the things they write, et cetera, mm-hmm. and so forth. Now, the solution clearly would be, fine, have a professional and a personal 
Twitter account. I guess you could do that, but it becomes a big yeah, pain in the ass, yeah. right? Like you'd be have toggling between and people are like, why do you have two accounts? That's crazy, it's dumb. So you're stuck, right? Yeah. Because the employer can't tell Les Bowen is the guy you use the example and I'm not trying no, to and I like and I like out, Les too. He's a good dude. But like it absolutely. gets in the off season it's like it's like politics, 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 politics. Oh um Camus Grugier Hill is on crutches. Politics, politics, politics. You know, it's just like uh, I'm just saying that these these newspapers and these um, television outlets, radio outlets, all of them, really can't do much about what their talent does with no, their Twitter feeds. No, they can't. Um, it would probably be for the best for everyone using Twitter, especially if they're using it in any kind of professional uh, manner, to be a little more judicious, yeah, right? Yeah. And not to hit send so often. <laughs> but it's hard because, you know... Twitter, among other things, it's it's a reinforcement. When you send a tweet that gets attention and 100 people like it or 1,000 people like it, it's a little rush, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And you get the rush and you want to well, do it again. Well, and you can say that, you know, my views don't necessarily re- reflect the views of my employer or whatever. But if 80% of your workforce is on Twitter and happens to espouse, you know, conservative uh, political viewpoints. Well, then f- we've sort of been able to parse that eighty percent of your company does believe a certain thing, you know. <laughs> so, like, you're trying to like protect yourself at the same time, but you're trying to like you don't want to infringe upon your employees either. It's like you said, it's kind of a, just a weird like like between situation, you know. Well, I'm, we're getting far afield, I know, and so I'll try and close it this yeah. way. It's unfortunate, but um, even sports talk radio now will have some politics leech in. Yes, which is interesting. Yeah. it brings people to the yeah. radio and it brings people to the mm-hmm. phone and it creates banter and dialogue. And, you know, somebody comes on and says something remarkably stupid and then they become the butt of the, ne- the joke for the next two hours. They get called a, an idiot or a moron. <laughs> and, like, that drives ratings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you tell these guys not to do it? But it's probably not for the best I'm, I'm not saying sports talk radio was ever the the highest level of discourse we were going to have in, to yeah. begin with i never suggested yeah. that but it's only getting worse with the addition of hey let's talk about the issues of the day which as we all know are pretty grim okay so let's um let's finish it up with some questions here i think that was a very fair discussion phil um yeah, it was good. Um, la, 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 la. Okay, let me pull this up. Okay, um, I'm going to fire through these. Uh, Luke Hirsch says, white or brown rice? White rice all day I'd say brown. Me. Isn't brown better for you? Brown is much better for you. It's a little more flavorful. But I am not eating rice for the flavor of rice. Hmm. I'm eating rice as an accompaniment to whatever is in the dish. And as a matter of fact... I'm not going to mention the uh, fast service restaurant that I ate from tonight, but rice was featured in what I ate tonight, and I was not paying any attention to the damn yeah. rice. It was the chicken and the fajita vegetables and the cheese and the guacamole and we Chipotle. Just leave it at that. You get, you got it, Kyle. You. Well, I gave you a lot of Kyle clues. says uh, coffee stout or porter. I would say coffee stout. Um, because my my favorite yeah, my favorite agreed. coffee stout right now is Cob, which is made uh, where Kyle happens to live up in Perkasy Free Will Brewing. Coffee stout's excellent. Uh, it's not really the time of year for it, but when it gets a little colder, I'm, I'm uh, right Kyle there. asked three questions in a row. But he's a he's a longtime friend, so I'll answer all of them. Uh, he says three clubs and a putter. What do you bring in? Um, three wood, seven iron, and. Gap wedge. Four iron. 
seven iron and um god i guess a nine you must hit the four iron a pretty i hit the four iron off the tee i just it, for some reason i can't hit a driver anymore i don't know what happened to me i'm like I shot 82 yesterday, so I was feeling pretty good. Uh, Kyle says, what's your starting 11 right now? I say it's Vooten, Shabilko, Fabian, Montero, Bedoya, Madunianin, Wagner. God, I guess I put Austin Trusty back in there. Trusty Elliott. Trusty yeah, Elliott. And, I mean, I guess it's Ray Gaddis. I, I, I would like to see an upgrade at right back, but, you know, when everybody's playing well and Ray is steady, they win games. So, Yeah, it's it's funny that we're – Still parsing and complaining about a first place team. <laughs> uh, I cannot improve. That's on your Philly, level. though. You know. Um, yep. Uh, Richard Saunders says sour or Kolsch. Sour Kolsch. I'm not really a sour person. I like Kolsch. Um, he also says, "Did the union make any moves?" No, um, I don't think they did. Anyway, sorry. No. These, these are questions from last night because we didn't record last night. Um, Josh from the Wonder Years says, "Did you do a Leagues Cup hot take yet? Because uh, it could it be good for MLS long term?" Uh, um, I'm not a fan of it because I just feel like it's not. I feel like you know MLS should have find a, found a way to focus on the Concacaf Champions League and do it that way. I'm intrigued by what the by MLS and Liga MX trying to like you know, do more crossover here and kind of join forces on some things. But I, I, I don't know. It's just too much to focus on. I think you got open cup, you got leagues cup, you got regular season play. Like it's, you're stretching people too thin. And on top of that, they're still expanding MLS, right? And they're going to be putting teams in even smaller and smaller and smaller yeah. markets. I don't know if you necessarily, for example, want to send FC Cincinnati that right now is a negative 32 <laughs> goal difference down anywhere. to like, uh, you know, Tigress or something like that. Yeah. That's yeah. my point. Like that, that doesn't. It, it feels nasty. like it doesn't. I feel like Mexico really doesn't give a shit. I feel like we're not good enough yet to have a. Hang on, Baxter's uh, clawing his way into the thing here. One second. Okay, sorry about that. Um, let me see what we got here. Steve. I was ready to fill there. Oh, no, that's right. Yeah, we don't really fill on the Always Soccer in Philadelphia podcast. We just do whatever. Baxter started clawing at the door. Now he's here. You want to say anything, buddy? No, of course he doesn't. Um, Steve says, if the team went to all Philly music in the stadium, who would you feature? Hooters. Hooters, uh, Hall & Oates. Tommy Conwell and the Young Rumblers. in there. Uh, David Bennett says, UFC uh, Octagon Fang versus Franklin. Who you got? Oh, that's Fang. Yeah, Fang would beat Franklin. Blue Dog, I don't really get it. Um, Max Halperin, which strikers get the start this weekend? I, I say Casper and Vooten. Yeah, why would you possibly change? Brian DeHaven says, who wins the 2019 Union or the 2010 to the 2018 Best 11? Wow. I like that question. It deserves a lot more thought than I'll be able to give it as I sit here right now. But I'm going to take this team against the 11, especially since, what, Ali Moreno is like 50 now, right? <laughs> well, I would say um, you could take the 2011 defense. You could take Carlos Valdez. You could take Fareed Mondragon. You could take uh, Danny Califf, Jordan Harvey, Shannon Williams, and you could then build a midfield of, like, Vince Nogueira and Tranquilo Barnetta and <laughs> Bork Dojkal and Sebastian Latou. I don't know. I think – when you take the individual pieces from those shitty teams and put them all together, that's a big window. I think that team probably wins. Um, if they can play together, like, and I know this is a, a <laughs> this is a Russ. That's a Russ kind of question, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. 
But I mean, you know, w- what if those tr- tremendous individual talents that you just reeled yeah. off so easily, what if they don't coalesce? You know, what what if they don't really figure right. it out? I mean, this group that Curtin has going yeah. on right now plays well together, has continuity, and actually has comparable talent to some of the guys you mentioned. Um, let me rip through these since I got a lot of them. That's a good problem to have. Um, Jack Fritzadelphia is legendary. He says, do you have ESPN Plus? Yes, I do. He says, thoughts on not. it. Is it worth it if you have it? Well, what you should do is you should get the the Hulu and uh, ESPN and Disney bundle now, twelve ninety nine, right? Yeah, so I was actually talking with a friend uh, over the weekend, and he told me that he cut the cord, which I was shocked by because he's a very traditionalist hmm. guy, and he makes enough money that I don't think it really mattered to him that much. But he's like, I just could not continue to, to bang these checks to Comcast the way I was. <laughs> and he's thrilled. Like, he's raving we about it. thought about it. Now, I've thought about it too, but it, it feels like, at least in the short term, it's going to be a lot of work to do yeah. the research to figure out what I need to, to patch together to give me what I really want out of my I know, it just gives me a experience. headache thinking about it. Like, it feels like it's too much work. Maybe I'll get around to it at some point, you know. I like I like also right. having, um, being able to go back and watch on my computer um, because I have a Verizon Fios log and I can watch Sixers replays in the morning. So that's where I cut Absolutely. my video clips off of for the website. So it just works for me. If it ain't broke, you know. Um, I'm right there with you. Can you do a run-through of the rest of the schedule? Nah, we did that a couple weeks ago. We'll do it again later. Um, Taylor says, over-under on me using the term shuttler. He says five. Actually, I only said shuttler, I think, once tonight. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you went uh, way under. Solveig Solin says, what are the chances Creval gets more minutes with Montero back? Um, I don't know. I think he's still out outside the starting 11, but he's a good defensive sub. Yeah. And where no does question. Sergio Santos fit in? God, I don't know. Off the bench, I guess. It was dis- I'm disappointed in him. I'm very uh, upset because I stuck my neck out for him, and then he failed me. So I know how uh, feels. Synonymous Bosch says, what does Rooney <laughs> leaving mean for MLS? Anything? Not really, because he made a splash when he showed up, but DC United really haven't done much mm-hmm. with him, and he's obviously not the same player he used to be. Not it wouldn't be fair to expect him. He's got a jillion mm-hmm. miles on mm-hmm. the odometer. Um, look, the story will be uh, that there were high hopes for when he came. He tried hard. I'm not suggesting he didn't give solid effort and a professional yeah. effort to DC United. Mm-hmm. He did, but he's only one player. And as good as as great as he was, and as good as, as he still is, he wasn't really enough to make DC United that much more relevant than they were before yeah. he came. And so I think the story is really kind of, it's not one of disappointment, but it's almost proving the point that these big name signings from other leagues, except if you're talking about a player like Zlatan, it just doesn't usually work out. No, you're right. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Um, Dr. Strange Dupta says, how in the world does New York City still have four games in hand? I think it's because of Yankee uh, Yankee schedule, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Brad says, what do you think about team chemistry this year? It seems to be the most cohesive, camaraderie-filled locker room the union have had. Yeah, I agree. I wish I was still down on the beat, actually. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Winning makes everybody get along. No, of course it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Oh, Steve, uh, a.k.a. Fat Fang, says um, Van Halen or Van Hagar. 
It's Van, Van Halen, Halen, but Van Hagar is not as bad as everybody says. I didn't. No, no, no. I'm just saying. That. I'm just making it's, a blanket statement to the people who are like anti, like um, Sammy for whatever reason. Like they had a lot of good tracks with him, but like classic Van Halen is amazing. You can't touch it. It's never really a fair comparison. Just because you like Van Halen doesn't mean that Van Hagar was bad. You know. Well, and look, by the time Van Hagar rolled around. Uh, it was a cash grab. Yeah, those boys were trying to make some pop hits, and they did. They actually mm-hmm. had some some songs that were much more pop mm-hmm. influenced mm-hmm. than they were hard rock influenced. I mean, "Finish What You Started" is not a rock no, and roll song no. in any meaningful way. So, fine. I mean, they wanted to make their money. They made their money. It's That's right. fantastic. That's right. Um, Vince says I was really impressed with Vooten's hold up play, especially on the first goal. Yeah, I was too. I think I mentioned that earlier. Um, Mike Anderson with a good question. He says, if you could yell anything into a field mic after a goal, what would it be? Uh, I'm much thinner than I look, and I make a lot more money than you I think. would. Um, what would I yell? I would yell, Leroy Jenkins. Not bad. DJ Edwards says, uh, we know the team won't add a third designated player, um, but realistically, what positions would you improve if you could? Forward? Uh, right back? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be right right full well, back. Right back. Yeah. yeah. Um, you don't really need to add another four. No, they point. did. They already did with Vooten. You know that's uh, exactly um, right. Clownor uh, says, "Is Marco Fabian just rolling Alberg two Questionable work rate, mostly ineffective as the ten, uh, but he scores absolute bangers. And by the way, I love your podcast. Uh, First time commenter, long time listener, and all of that. Uh, well, thank you, man. Um, he yeah he is, but Marco Fabian's a better player than Roland Alberg. Yeah. He is. Um, yeah. Okay. I think I, I just want to get to this email. Somebody sent two more on an email, and then uh, and then we'll wrap it up here. Uh, Mike Rowley says, "Have you heard anything about the Philadelphia Fury team starting? Is the plan still to play at Franklin Field? I don't know. Have you heard? Do you know what's going on with that? No, I have not followed this story because uh, it's all I can do to get ready for the Premier League season starting mm-hmm. this weekend. I, I have limited uh, disk space on the hard drive right he now. He says, why can't Mark McKenzie get on the field? I'm not really sure. I think it's just because the guys in front of him are playing well. Um, and he says, is there any chance Bedoya gets moved to right back to make room for Aronson and Fabian? Yeah, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but do, would you like the idea of Alejandro Bedoya playing right back in order to get Brendan Aronson and Marco Fabian both on the field at the same time? I don't not like really. It either. Yeah. I, I, and I feel like it's a, a colossal waste of – Bedoya's talent um he's still doing really good things in the position they're playing him in why would you take that yeah it's hard to justify that the the guys who go in his place have to be so good and Bedoya has to be better than just competent at right back Mm -hmm. for that to work Mm -hmm. there's too many risks inherent you're right I agree all right here's the last one and I will leave this for you um, because I think you'll answer it better than I can uh what's your expectation for Pulisic at Chelsea this year so that's a lot of pressure, but this is in my wheelhouse. So what's my expectation? First of all, he will play early. They will get him on the pitch at Chelsea early. And if he produces early, he could probably score, let's say, 16 goals. But if they play him early and he doesn't produce, he'll get buried. Like he, he'll barely play yeah, at all. Yeah. Uh, and and he'll, be, he'll be an impact sub. And the stories will be that you know, he's an American again, who can't, you know, fucking get it. American done. thinks yep. he can come yep. play in our league, mm-hmm. and not fast enough, not skilled enough, first touch not good enough. And they that's will, it. they will pull. There is a they lot will pull riding. Bob Bradley, 
right away after 10 games if he's not getting it done after eight games if he's not getting it right. done say it's over you know whereas some english kid would be able to play forever you know 100 percent correct that that's why i've answered the question the way i did i think he's got a very short window to prove that he belongs and that he's better than the other options that they have and if he doesn't prove it quickly he could literally end up in a situation where he doesn't even make the 16 mm-hmm much less the 11. So it's Soccer in Philadelphia, episode number 87 with Phil Kaidel. Phil, thanks for coming on, my man. Good discussion on denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. Alejandro Bedoya, I think that was a fair discussion. We answered every single question that was asked of us. Um, I personally believe, as uh, Miss Teen South Carolina once said, uh, that it was a pretty comprehensive uh, podcast, yeah? We went around the world in an hour and two minutes. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, man. We will do it again sometime, yeah. And uh, until then, uh, we will see you next time. Philadelphia Union playing the Houston Dynamo this weekend. We will see if they remain in first place at the end of the weekend. Peace.